You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. We're talking about communication, how you can communicate better in your recovery. I'm on with guest and therapist, Amy Shaley. How you doing, Amy? I'm good, Damon. How are you? I am doing great. So glad to have you on the Recovered Life show. And an interesting topic, communication. I know no one has communication issues ever. You never see this. But we thought we would do one because it seems to be a common problem. People have problems communicating, Amy. Yep. Yep. Even if you're a master communicator, sometimes you hit some bumps. So I don't think that there is a Shangri-La, so to speak, for being a master communicator. I think, you know, it takes practice. Well, we're glad to have you on the show because we wanted to kind of address this issue. We wanted to kind of dive into, you know, what is good communication? What's bad communication? How do you know if you're doing it well? How do you improve your communication skills? Because I think, you know, one of the big blessings of being in recovery is you kind of have a 2.0 life. You kind of get a reset a little bit and do things differently. But a lot of people, Amy, I have to just tell you, are trapped because they kind of know what they want to say, but for some reason, when they start to communicate it, it just doesn't come out like that. Is this a common problem? Do many people have communication issues? Um, yeah, like going back to what I said kind of in our opener, I think everybody struggles at times with communication. And so... Um, I have some really great uh, ideas and tips for things that we might get into as we as we look at some of the um, background, you know, questions that you had asked initially. And um, hopefully these will help people who are, you know, mentioned that they're struggling or, or feel trapped, you know, or lost. Absolutely. You know, I'd love to start off with why is good communication important? Because I think a lot of the times we focus on things and they might or might not be relevant to our life, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I maybe have gone down the rabbit hole with, mm -hmm. right? And uh, really only a small fraction of them have really been, have a major impact in my life. I think good communication has been one of those, right? Working on my communication skills. Why is it important to have good communication skills? Well, this is a, this is a broad question, Damon. <laughs> and one that I think if you asked 10 different humans, everybody would give you a different answer, right? And I think they're, they're all probably equally valid. Um, when I think about being a good communicator and why it's important, um, I might shift that question a little bit and say that in expressing ourselves intentionally, like being intentional about how we communicate, um, I think we increase the probability that we get more of what we want. You know, that, love that tend to feel like they're going a little bit more our way. Um, and I think that another real huge benefit of that, of that is that the people in our life understand us if, if mm. we're working on practicing communicating intentionally. And so what, is, what does it mean when you say intentionally, let's really focus in on that. Like what does intentionally mean? So intention would be, you know, I think about presence when I think about intention, like right now, you know, I have all of these notes that I want to make sure that I land for the audience in terms of what good communication is made up of. But I also really want to be here with you right now. 
And I want to kind of really internalize the questions that you're asking and make sure that my answers or our dialogue is meaningful, right? And that it can live on, on the internet <laughs> for a really long time after today, you know? And so um, I think kind of calming down and being in the moment of, of what you and I are doing here right now is really helpful in me being intentional about how I communicate. I love that. You know, uh, you said something kind of interesting that I think is what a lot of people experience, especially in early recovery. When people first start to get sober, Amy, I think one of the issues is, is that they realize that they're not in the present a lot. They're in the past. They're in the future. They're not really spending a lot of time. And, and this was a big aha moment for me. Is like, I'm not spending a lot of time in the actual present moment. So I love when you talk about intentionality because it brings us into what are we doing in the here and now? And one of the things that I have learned in recovery is that all the great stuff come in the here and now, right? When I'm future tripping or when I have resentments or I'm in the past or I'm trapped in the past and I really can't get out of that, right? That's where all of the misery and frustration mm -hmm. and just feeling like I'm in the mud happens. How are some of the ways to know, Amy, if you're not a good communicator? Because I think... You know, everybody is in relationships or friends in their life or family members to say, you just don't communicate well. Like, I don't understand what you mean. Yeah. What are some of those tips if people are listening to this and say, well, I, I really don't know if I am a good communicator. Right, 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 right. I mean, I, I say, you know, the first thing is like, I think the more you practice, the better you get. That's one like encouraging line that I want people to take from our conversation today is that just because you might feel like you're a bad communicator. Maybe you're not getting what you want as much as you'd like, you know? And so could that be a reflection of how you did or didn't communicate? Maybe you're getting feedback that you're a horrible communicator, which isn't always true, but you can use that as a, you know, a, a, a piece of information, a data point, so to speak. Um, but, you know, one of the notes that I have here is you might feel chronically frustrated in your life. Like I am not getting what I want over and over and over again. And so I would encourage people like, look at, is there anything that you're contributing to the cycle where you feel frustrated, where more communication or more intentional communication might help? Mm. Right. And so going back to this piece of advice, I don't do a whole lot of advice giving, but the piece of advice around encouraging people to practice is like continuing to practice and look at like, can I, communicate this in a, in a different way? Can I soften my tone? Can I use, you know, different words? <clears throat> Do I need to really sit and think about how I feel or think about this issue before I go out and try and, you know, <laughs> promote it with others? So I think that, you know, we're kind of going back to some of these recurring themes around practice and around intentionality when it comes to how to know if I'm quote unquote bad at communicating. Um, the other thing I'll say that I don't know gets as much attention is this idea of lack of communication. And as I was reflecting upon my own experience, I know that a lot of times if I felt chronically frustrated or angry about something, it kind of I could trace it back to a time when I stayed quiet. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think staying quiet is a form of communication. 
And it's a really useful tool. There are times when it is very, very relevant. And there are other times where not speaking up doesn't serve us well. Does that make I sense? I love that. Oh, absolutely, Amy. I Looking back, some of the best communication I've ever had is, is knowing what not to say. Uh, matter of fact, that that you know, that's always my issue. As I will, I, I will always maybe over communicate it, mm -hmm. and it's knowing what not to say. A lot of the times, is is much more important than than sometimes knowing what to say. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. being able to sometimes communicate, like I really don't know what to say, or I really don't have thoughts on this yet. It, it, it is fine. I've learned is to just be able to communicate. You don't know. I love that. That is one of my future tips. <laughs> You scooped me. I love that one. But yeah, this idea of playing with is now the right time. Timing is a huge part of being a good communicator, right? As well as is now a time when I speak up versus is now a time when I kind of keep my thoughts to myself. And I'll, I'll use, I'll tell a real simple anecdote of this, which is, you know, a time when I chose to speak up that served me was I was in line at Costco. And I was in a line where they, they had a helper kind of bagging up my, you know, putting my groceries in a box. And they gave me like a really crappy, wet, soggy box. And I could see, you know, me kind of trying to get this box out to my car and load it and it not going well for me. And so ordinarily, when I didn't speak up as much, I would have stayed quiet because I didn't want to inconvenience others. Mm. Right. I didn't want to put anybody out. But being able to say, hey, do you think I could have a different box? It was a real simple request and it was no skin off the other person's back and it made life easier for me. I love that. And knowing the tone and how to actually communicate that mm -hmm. is really the whole nuance of this. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I want to dive in a little bit, Amy, because I think one of the issues that I have found in just coaching, doing accountability coaching for people that are early in recovery and they're trying to work for towards their goals is that a lot of the times they will communicate absolutely effectively. But especially in the first couple years, I would even say the first three to five years, they haven't quite figured out that because of their alcoholism or just because of the family that they were born into or whatever, is that they're around a lot of people. They attract a lot of dysfunctional people. And especially alcoholics, you know, like a moth to a flame. I've never met an alcoholic that's not surrounded by codependence. There's a lot of codependency, right, in, in, in alcoholism. And sometimes you can communicate really effectively, but when you're listening back, you don't like the answer that they're giving. And you, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. It's like, no, I'm communicating like this is a boundary for me. And they're communicating back, I don't care or whatever. And you just don't like the answer. So a lot of times I feel like I have seen, especially in early recovery, people are like, oh man, my communication skills are really, really bad. I'm communicating this and they're just, you know, obviously I'm not doing it right. I'm like, no, you are doing it right. They're telling you, you have to listen. How important is listening to what people are actually telling you back when you're communicating with them? I mean, I would say if I had to rate like in percentage form, if I had to assign ratios, I would say, well, I'm a therapist. So I like practice listening every day. I think listening is just as, if not more important than talking. <laughs> and, you know, you had asked me a question at the beginning about, you know, what's the value of being a good communicator. And I can think of so many reasons why listening is valuable.
You know, I think it teaches us about ourselves, you know, when we hear feedback from other people, I think it teaches us about the world. Like we're able to learn when we just shut up for a minute and just take in what is coming at us. Right. That doesn't mean take in abuse. That doesn't mean take in people violating your boundaries kind of to your more recent point. Right. But people are giving us feedback, you know, when they talk, when they, when they stay silent, when they use um, nonverbals, you know, I just want to put in a plug for nonverbals. I mean, if you do a Google search today on, you know, what percentage of communication is words versus nonverbals. The the range of nonverbal communication is in the upward of 70 to 90%. Mm. Which means that, you know, by me staying quiet, by me doing one of these, right, where I'm shrugging my shoulders, I'm communicating. I haven't used any words to do it, but I'm but I'm sending you a message. So I think that's a really important, just a rule of thumb to keep in mind is, you know, when we talk about tips for becoming a better communicator, knowing how you are in your body and the nonverbal communication that you use is really, really important. And a lot of people are not aware of that, right? You may not be aware of a a little wrinkle in your brow as you're talking or a, you know, an, an upturned corner of your mouth, you know, a sneer. And so, you know, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is take yourself in, you know, if you can do this sort of zoom format where you get to see yourself on camera, if you can listen back to a message that you left for somebody, if you can record yourself and listen back to it, all of that is really helpful input for just understanding how you are as a communicator. Yeah. You know what? I I think it's, uh, I think this is a practice like anything else. It's like tennis, you know, communicate, communicate, being able to practice communication, I think is very, very important. And I think that that's one of the benefits, honestly, of 12 step groups is Mm -hmm. being able to kind of verbalize what you're feeling. And, you know, one of the early things that I realized and learned uh, in going to a 12 step group is that, you know, feelings aren't facts. And if I'm communicating what I feel, I need to say, hey, I'm communicating, I feel this, and it's totally fine to feel it, right? But sometimes I might feel one thing, but it's not really the fact, right? Like, I feel frustrated a lot of times. It's like, I'm just not reaching my goals because I'm somebody who's very type A and I'm very, like like to be high performing and do all this other stuff. And, you know, and I communicate these feelings to people sometimes, And I've had people turn around and say, Damon, you know, this is just like, this is crazy. Like, it's not, you've done more today than I did in this month, right? Like, so I've learned that sometimes I have to be careful about how I communicate things. I have to kind of set it up right. It's like, hey, this is bugging me or I'm feeling this, right? Because what happens is, is that you could drain people. I know say drip because they're just not they just don't understand. They're like, what? Like my friend was like, why are you feeling like that? You you didn't say you're feeling. You're saying no. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what's going on. But that isn't the facts. That's not what's going on. It's just something that you feel about it. Yeah, yeah. I I I hear you. And um, you know, we call that in, in therapy parlance. We call that emotional reasoning right? Mm -hmm. Where you're having a feeling and you believe that it is kind of a true part of life, not to negate your feelings. Like you just talked about your own desire for productivity, right? High output. You want to kind of always be moving forward is what I heard you say. 
um, and feeling frustrated with your, with yourself when you don't feel like you're moving forward, but having your outside world, you know, your people reflect back to you that you get more done before noon than they do all day. Right. So it's a really interesting comparison of your own self-talk, like how you think about yourself and what you believe about yourself and what others are reflecting back to you about what they see. And I think both of those things can be true. For all of you Recovered Life Show listeners who've battled in sobriety and are ready to level up, listen up. I'm offering a week of my accountability coaching absolutely free. This isn't just about day-to-day survival. It's about aggressively propelling your life forward. Whether you're new to sobriety or have been sober for years and are struggling to elevate your life, I'm going to be your partner for a week and help you get on track and start living the recovered life you deserve. We're not just talking about setting goals here. We're going to pursue real, tangible breakthroughs in your personal and business life. This is more than recovery. It's about owning your path and seizing the greatness you're destined for. But hurry, spaces are limited. Don't wait. Go to DamonFrank.com and claim your free week and start your journey. It's time to transform survival into thriving. Visit DamonFrank.com and book your free week now. You know, both can be real. Yeah, I think it's really good to have people in your life, whether it's a therapist like you or a sponsor or somebody, a coach, somebody that's in your life that can actually tell you the truth, right? Like, because I I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, and I've had people, especially in early recovery, you know, I look back decades ago saying certain things and they were saying like, hey, you know what? Like, that's something you just don't share with these people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and this is why, and this is why you don't do it is because it's not helpful, mm-hmm. right? It's just not, it's not helpful. So like kind of talking about like what not to say, like we were saying before is just so important. You know, I want to jump real quick into digital communication because I'm sure as a therapist, you could probably have your whole practice just on, on text messaging al- alone, right? Just people who have made really bad communication techniques or really bad communication errors, faux pas, just with digital communication. It seems that people don't have the same boundaries, Amy, with digital communication than they do personally because I have even caught myself to say, like, I would never say that to somebody to their face. Why would I say it digitally? I call that keyboard courage. Um, you know, I think it's an important aspect of our lives. It's so pervasive, right? This idea that we're all carrying, you know, one of these little computers around in our pocket. I mean, pretty much all the time. Um, I think digital communication is so helpful. It's so convenient. You know, a lot of times it's free or really, really cheap to be able to use Mm -hmm. our devices to, you know, send messages and talk to people. And I think the flip side of that is that for a lot of people, it has become kind of like a default activity, right? When you talk about texting, when you talk about these social media platforms, like on the, on the one hand, it's, it's such a great way to connect with people. And on the other hand, it can become an addiction of sorts. You know, I think people sometimes feel like they've lost a limb if they don't have their phone on them, you know? And so I think we're talking about two different things, but I want to kind of blend them together. You know, your point is about 
how to know when to use which mode of communication, right? Is this something that I would say in writing, you know, over an email or over a text versus something that is more appropriate to say to somebody in person? Um, and I'm kind of talking about it makes sense that people default to using text and other mediums than in real life because it has become such a ubiquitous part of how we connect with other people. And so I think, you know, in my own experience of like putting things in writing, I've kind of learned the hard way, <laughs> you know, like if you think about like a moment where you really want to kind of, you know, let somebody have a piece of your mind. I think those types of um, experiences and, and moments are, are better to do face to face, you know, cause you have all of that kind of going back to what we said earlier, all of the inputs of kind of what's going on for the other person. And you can kind of work through the issue in real time versus this sort of more, I call it asynchronous, right. Where it's like you shoot an email or a text over to somebody and then you have to wait because I think there's a lot that's involved in the waiting that um, we have come to expect this idea of like, you know, near real time or instantaneous responding. And we can oftentimes make up a lot of stories about what's happening in those gaps as we're waiting for the, uh, the response to come back to the, to the communication that we sent over. Does that, is that sitting well with you? Does that make sense? No, I, I, absolutely. You know what? I think um, there's a passive element in digital communication where not only do you not have to take accountability, but I find, and, and I've seen this happen is that I was somebody who was a big face-to-face -face person. Um, I talked on the phone a lot, what I would call real-time communication, right? Like in, in real time and then COVID comes, right? And, you know, and, I had a conversation with somebody earlier this morning about this, about how what I found is that I became more passive, more kind of, amp, you know, more kind of guarded and less willing to actually get on the phone with people. And I, and, and the other day I said, Oh, this is ridiculous. Uh, because I had a whole career where I would call people that I didn't know, right? And talk with people. And even in the podcast, you know, I didn't know you before we did this podcast. So it's like just being able to reach out to people and talk with people. I I, I started to notice my communication skills have eroded and my impact with other people had eroded, right? And so one of the things I've noticed with recovery, sponsorship, accountability coaching, any of this kind of stuff, I've really shifted to video apps where I see people face to face, you know, I use, I'm a big Marco Polo user a lot. I love that just face to face. And I have found that when people won't do that now, especially in addiction recovery, when their communication shifts all to digital, it's WhatsApp, text messages, email, typically they're withdrawing inside and unwilling to be vulnerable, yeah. right? Which ultimately stops their growth in the recovery process. Yeah. And I would say, you know, this unwillingness to be vulnerable, it could also be fear of vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, vulnerability is one of the most sort of intimate places that we can hang out as humans. And so I, I think, you know, really wanting to kind of shine a spotlight on this idea that uh, being vulnerable is scary and um, has huge human growth potential. 
And so if you can find kind of to your point about a sponsor or a, I call them a trusted advisor, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. in your inner circle, it could be one or two people tops. It doesn't have to be every single friend that you have in your, for, you know, in your contact list, Um, one or two people that you can practice vulnerability with, you'll get better, you know? And I think you really start to kind of refine this idea of when do I, share my vulnerability or say something versus when do I keep that to myself and maybe kind of think about it a little bit more before I share it, you know, kind of going back to that idea of timing. Love that. You know, um, do you think at the end of the day, Amy, that people maybe know how to communicate a lot better than they think they do? It's just that they're afraid of the outcome. How much of fear is like i'm a fr- like cuz you know i i look back about conversations that i've had that i've been super fearful of it, it i i knew how to communicate that long before mm-hmm. i had the conversation but it was the fear of what of what i would hear back that was the issue it wasn't a communication issue at all it was actually an emotional maturity issue uh, you know, at the time, it was just like, I just, I kind of knew the answer. I definitely had to ask the question, but I didn't want to, I was afraid of the response. Uh, I think that is such a huge part of what keeps us quiet and keeps us from sharing is, you know, let's call it what you will, you know, emotions, um, you know, fear is a good one. I think, um, you know, worry or concern might be like a little bit less than fear, but kind of still in that same emotional vein of what will this person think of me? You know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes in intimate relationships, um, it's, I have a worry about sharing my true self because I'm worried about rejection, right? Like if I show up as my, as, as, you know, and, and share this part of me, this other person isn't going to like me anymore. And so I think that those kinds of worries about how we are perceived are a big part of the reason why we keep to ourselves as humans. Love that. You know, Amy, I want to discuss real quick, how do you become a better communicator? What are, what are some of the tips here? Um, Cause I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, wow, a lot of the stuff that Amy is talking about here, I definitely resonate with. But how do I improve it? Like, what's a way that right now somebody could become, they could leave this podcast and become a better communicator? Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say is, you know, most of us walking around in our adult lives didn't get great modeling for how to communicate well. (laughs) Okay, so just know that like, we're all kind of starting at pretty much the same baseline in my experience, you know, a lot of people come into therapy and say, you know, I didn't see great role models when I was growing up for how to have effective communication or a good marriage or a good relationship and don't feel like you're in the minority there, you know, like we're all learning. And that's why I keep saying like practice, you know, to just try it out on people and see what kind of results you get. A lot of this is a lot of what I do in my work with clients is experimentation. You know, like I don't have the silver bullet for what is absolutely going to work necessarily. A lot of it depends on the person. A lot of it depends on the people that they're interacting with. And so you have to kind of find what works for you. But I would say one of the very early sort of step one or step A's that I have, if you want to become an effective communicator is knowing yourself, 
And so the exercise that I have for that, I'm calling spot the dot. So take a magic marker or a pen, put a little dot on your hand somewhere. And any time throughout the day when you see that dot, just do a real quick check-in and try and identify how you feel and what's going on for you. Because, you know, we, we liken feelings to waves, right? And if you sit, if you've ever sat and watched the ocean and the wave pattern mm-hmm. for any amount of time, you notice that they come, the waves keep coming, right? And that's kind of how feelings are. Feelings are kind of fickle, you know, You're, you feel frustrated one moment and, you know, pretty content the next. And so checking in with yourself throughout the day to notice how you feel and notice if it's connected to any condition or event can give you a lot of information about your current state. And the reason that I think feelings and sort of inner, you know, feeling inner condition is so important is that that oftentimes affects the way we feel. Right. So, you know, this, yeah, this really intersects well with, I think, long-term recovery. I, you know, what, what I see a lot, Amy, and I just look back on myself is that, um, the times that I'm the most at risk to relapse are the times when I have a lot of feelings, but can't really, um, I don't want to use the word explain because that's not right. It's almost kind of really kind of find out what's really going on. Like, oh, I'm frustrated, but what's really going on is this, right? And that is a danger point I see, you know, in, in, in recovery is the inner communication with yourself. Like we talk a lot about being able to, you know, like Costco, being able to communicate like, hey, this doesn't work for me or to be able to communicate about, we talk a lot about, about a, a lot about that. But I found that, in a successful recovery, the best communication skills that I that that I could have ultimately are with the communication skills that I have with myself. What am I telling myself about this? Because this is where all the problems arise. I find with communicate is what I'm actually communicating was. Oh yes, this is real. This is not. You know, and I have somebody in my life who has this one line that they says, well, who says that's real? Like, who said that? Can you give me some sort of right? And he breaks those down for me because I I could see it's like, you know what? No one said that. That was just some thought I had. I started communicating with myself. Then I started communicating that to other people. I didn't get the response back that I wanted. So now I'm, now I'm hurt. Details up, but don't want to say that I am, right? You know, and it, I find it's a cycle. And so much of that starts to erode your emotional stability that it 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 brings you to a point that you're very prone to relapse mm-hmm. because you don't, you just have feelings coming at you. And I see this not so much in later sobriety. Like now I say, oh, that's what this is about. Or if I have feelings, it's just feelings. You know what I mean? But if I have the same feeling over and over again, I start to know what's this about? You know, is it really about that, you know, the trash wasn't taken out or is it something more? Yeah. Right. You know, um, can we talk about that inner dialogue a little bit? Because I think that mm-hmm. is a huge part of this, especially with people in recovery. Yeah. I think, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how this is how our brains work. Everybody's brain is on almost all the time, 
right? And so we have this inner dialogue and this idea of the automatic thought process, which is like our brains are kind of coursing through. I can't remember what the number is. It's like 60,000 automatic thoughts a day, right? Some of them are neutral. Some of them are super positive and some of them are negative. And we've come to know those as negative automatic thoughts, gnats for short, kind of annoying in a way, right? Can really get in the way. And so, you know, I was thinking about the school of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Where oftentimes you have a feeling and that feeling was brought about by an event and it can create negative thought patterns, right? And that can kind of tank your whole day. You know, like I have an example from yesterday, you know, where I live, it's really cold. It's unseasonably cold right now. The, you know, the pattern has been to kind of thaw just enough to like get the snow all slushy and then freeze again to get it all crunchy. So you've got this like thick layer of ice on your windshield and it's dangerous to drive. And, you know, I'm used to like, you know, pretty sunny skies and no precipitation. And so I'm like, I had this event, which was a snow and then a slush and then a freeze. And now I'm like upset about it for some reason. And that's actually, you know, yesterday I had an experience where it just kind of ruined. I didn't, I tried not to let it ruin my whole day, but I was in a grumpy mood. So I had these thoughts of like, I can't do what my normal routine in this weather, right? It's a situation that is completely beyond my control. And I had some negative thoughts and that led me to feel all kinds of things, you know, all kinds of negative feelings yesterday. So, you know, just an opportunity to say like, it happens all the time. It happens for conditions that we can control and can't control. And I think being able to, what I call walk back that chain and understand Mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it even impacted my communication with my coworkers where I was like kind of rough with them, you know, rougher than I'd like to be. And it's like, wow, what's going on? And so walking back the chain, you know, well, I'm in a grumpy mood and it turns out that I hate wearing these boots and, you know, it's wet outside and like all kinds of reasons why uh, I got to that place. And so, you know, kind of linking up with your part of the conversation about having a thought and then kind of perpetrating that on the world in a way um, is something that happens a lot. And um, I think it's useful to look at in more depth. Final thoughts here, Amy, for anybody who's listening to this and said, you know what? I've identified that I've been a bad communicator since third grade. It's never going to change. There's no hope for me. I'm always going to be a bad communicator. What would you say to this person who's listening? I said, you know, I know maybe my my breakthrough is going to come and being able to communicate better. Is yeah. there hope for them? Is there hope? Absolutely. I mean, my my favorite three words are don't give up never give up. (laughs) That would be my sort of advice. But I think, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is that being in recovery is a special time to initiate new habits. A lot of things uh, for people who are experiencing recovery are new, even if they're not new. You know, like I spoke to somebody the other day who is uh, practicing sobriety and has been sober for over a year who was saying like, I am needing how to, I am needing to know how to be intimate with my partner in a different way. Like, this is not something that I'm familiar with. I'm used to being high, you know, when I'm, Mm -hmm. when we're having intimate moments. And so, you know, I think there is always room for improvement when it comes to communication. And, uh, you know, you asked for tips earlier and we talked about spot the dot, but the other one that I want to kind of sneak in here and this is something that everybody can get started with right now is this idea of congruency, which is 
If you say you're going to do something, do it. Like match those two pieces up, right? That's what at the end of the day, congruency means to me is that, you know, both sides match. You know, if you say that you mean something, mean, mean what you say, you know, like, it, I mean, some people call it honesty. Some people call it um, transparency and I call it congruency. And the, the thing that congruency leads to is trust. And I think that is one of the most important things for a relationship and a way that you can directly connect the quality of your relationships to your communication. Love that. Really great advice. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to put links, guys, to how you can get a hold of Amy in the show notes. And we're going to put all that information in there. Definitely connect with her if you would like to work on your communication skills. Final thoughts, Amy. I just am loving this conversation. I could sit here and talk to you about this for two or three more hours, probably. <laughs> well, we're going to have to do more about communication, uh, some uh, future episodes. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Damon. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to specially recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us. Dot us.